This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Pat wants us to play the Rye <laughs> intro song. How did they begin a coup? <laughs> That's your next podcast, How to Run a Coup. By Pat O'Boyle. How to, how to Overthrow a Government. Christian would love that. By Patrick O'Boyle. <laughs> What's the matter, the heads? <laughs> you're having a very hard time with the headsets. Be sure that you're born in Italian. <laughs> they uh, won't talk for 20 years because you <laughs> forgot to send them a card. <laughs> Christmas on time when they always bought you a nice one. Because you're Italian. All right, you ready? Here comes the song. That you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great From the moment you're a small bambino You eat pizza, you drink vino Then they make you roly-poly you get stuffed with ravioli. If your mama's a paisano, you will have the world on a plate. So see that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I am your moderator, John Viola. And I am going to turn the microphone right away. It's been over a coup. To, Today's yep, a coup. It's a coup. I've been John's got us in. I was able to to free us and bring us to Jersey, to to free us from the fetters of our slavery in New York. <laughs> that the Italians in New Jersey are constantly treated like second class citizens. Because remember, at the table when the whole family's there, when Anthony, Dolores, Rosella, and John, it's all New York people, and I'm on the back of the bus representing New Jersey. Wait, Anthony's Jersey. No, he's not. He thinks New York. He's from New York. He he lives in Jersey, but he's in New York. You, you all stand around the flag, and you're all New York people, and nothing's ever good enough in Jersey, right? What's the greatest compliment that you people could ever give? You're close to it's, New York. It's almost as good as Brooklyn. <laughs> That's true. And it's not bad, and you'll never say it's good because it's somehow like a treachery uh, to your own kind. Did I ever tell you about my uh, Kumbhada godfather took me out with his dad? Who's an old Neapolitan guy and uh, always kind of cranky. And we went to a famous pizzeria, I will not say which, which I love. My uncle loves. And he says, Dad, what do you think? Isn't this great? He goes, ah, I know 10 places better in Glen Cove. <laughs> How great yeah, sure, is that? That's sure. the most Italian answer. Correct. 10 places. This place is like Zagat rated, but not 10 places. They'll never say it's bad. They'll say, well, it's not that bad. It's all right. And but, never, never, never made some work. But that's a lie. So the New York people propagate this untruth. That New York is superior when we know that the... No, really, honestly, the real center of Italian culture now in the United States is North Jersey. I mean, you, you, <laughs> have, you have... You certainly have a point. Uh, as a Brooklynite, I, I'm not sure I will go deep into it, but why are we in Jersey today? Why did because you, why we're did you here choose to have your coup because here? Because the coup had to start in Hudson County in Hoboken. <laughs> That's going to be like, where was... Where, 
was Fidel Castro on La Sierra? <laughs> Castro and his troops came out of La Sierra right. in 1915. Yes. Franco came out of the North African Empire. Right. And we're coming out of Hoboken. There you go. The coup starts in Hoboken. I have the privilege today to begin the Jersey coup in this merry time of the year in the Christmas season at Giorgio's Pasticceria, Giorgio's Pastry Shop on Washington Avenue in Hoboken. And I have Mary Grace Castiello, who is the proprietor of Giorgio's. Hi, everyone. So, uh, is it Washington Street? It's Washington Street. It's Washington Street. It what is? did I say? I just say Washington. Everybody does it. It's Why okay. does everybody do that? I don't know. We just do it. It happens, right? Maybe in Jersey City, there's the Washington Avenue. Oh, here we go. Now we have the whole book in Jersey City. No, listen. Tensions. Uh, No, amongst ourselves is tension, but to the rest of the world, (laughs) we stand united. When the New York people say, well, it's not, it's, it's not, it's not. That's your honest, motto, it's that, not. I, I moved to Jersey as a kid, and I lived here for a long time, but I have that Brooklyn mentality. I went back. I always thought Jersey City, Hoboken, uh, what's the other one? They just one, like right, that. The I always one. think it was a contiguous yeah. sort of, you know, Riverside place. We're, we're different brothers and sisters of the same family. Like This is true. Newark and Jersey City are two different universes, though across the Meadowlands, they're maybe a couple of miles away. Because actually, when they were filming The Sopranos, whatever your opinion on that is, Tony Soprano, who came from Park Ridge, which is Upper Bergen County, I don't know if it was David Chase per se, but there was concern on the HBO side that his accent did not sound New Yorkish, that people could not distinguish a Jersey Mafia family with a different accent. Now, this is where this comes in. And it's interesting. People like Frankie Vincent and... Um, Pantaleon. What's his name? Frank? Joe Pantaleon. Joe, Joe Pantaleon. Who's a Hoboken Pantaleano. Pantaleano, who's from Hoboken. Yes. Uh, Frankie Vincent grew up in Jersey City. Mm-hmm. Their accents are actually New York accents because as per NPR, yes, we are not all things considered, but as per NPR. <laughs> but no, we'll N- quote them. NPR had a whole uh, story about this some time ago saying that Hudson County, New Jersey, linguistically, linguistically, is a borough of New York. And John and I have had these conversations that Hudson County, because before the Holland Tunnel and the Lincoln Tunnel and the bridges came in, Jersey City and Brooklyn were basically the same community because it was ferries going back constantly. Right. There was a lot of movement between Red Hook and Jersey City. So linguistically, they're the same people. Now, the Newark accent, per se, is very, very different. It is different. You can pick it up. The Newark accent is articulated differently. And if the Sopranos had been accurate as a dialect... The show is based on Essex County. The accent would have been a Newark accent because right. the whole Bloomfield Avenue, which is all the towns that uh, Newark kind of fed into suburbs, those towns have a very distinct accent. It would have been different, but instead, because nationally, New Jersey is clumped in because of Hudson County sounding sure. like New York, they had everyone have a New York accent. But why, why did we go on that? Because as I've been told, <laughs> I just want to... I want to have a shout-out to one of our listeners who says I'm un- undiagnosed ADD, <laughs> yes. and then if I get medicine and help, I'm going to be improved. So we're going to have a separate series called Get Pat Get Pat some help. Get Pat some doctor and see if it helps. I don't think it will because I don't think – I think I got a lot of problems. It's, it's beyond ADD. To our friend out there who's a listener in the new neighborhood who, who recommends Pat seek diagnosis, I have been diagnosed with ADD, and I have been – uh, medicated for it and it has helped me a lot but I think if we did it to Pat it would kill some of you're the magic you're gonna destroy me why don't you leave me alone <laughs> I, I think one of us me. being medicated is enough if I was medicated I'd be like ah, I, would be like, I would sound like the Norwegian people I'd go hello yes that's that's lovely I would love to see I'm gonna it. have one idea for the whole show <laughs> and be very 
We should give you like we should get like a sample of the medication for one episode. It's like a, a test. To see. And everybody would probably say he finally shut up. They'd probably be like, "Yeah, put it in the coffee, put it in the water. Here, take the pill." Because oh. now Mary Grace, I'm here at Mary. Um, another thing, because I just keep going. Because you edit this, and then you just stick stuff all around. Like I say stuff in the beginning, he puts yeah. it at the end. That's he cuts it out, and I don't listen. It's, it's that's I don't a typical conversation yeah. with Patrick. Yeah, though. Yes. In the beginning, Pat just assumes we're all editing. But the truth is, it's a lot easier for the show to flow if you if you. I can't. <laughs> if you want the medication, you get a Norwegian. <laughs> Put me on the pill. Hello, yes. Uh, let me get back to. Um, we did this. Rosella couldn't make it today on purpose. <laughs> I planned it that way because Rosella's got to hang up against Neapolitan Christmas cookies. So we just filmed in the Bronx on Arthur Avenue. I had to get beaten in that she thinks that they're dry and they're dry and they're hard. And you know what? She could take her Brooklyn up and go fling it out the window because. <laughs> That's all she wants. She's, a, she's Pat, the only cat that broke it up. Pat is the great defender of Neapolitan cookies. 100%. I mean, yeah. listen, I respect Puglia. Our cookies are Dunkin' cookies. Our cr- <laughs> Neapolitan Christmas cookies are meant to have originally with wine before coffee came. And they're crunchy. They're, and, you know, and there's a lot of people that are making them soft because eating habits have changed. People aren't sitting around dunking. But I just want to stand here and say I was not going to have bring her across the river. To have Neapolitan cookies beat up. What does Puglia make? For, they make scottalade. <laughs> oh, man. And I don't want to start World War I. You make one thing. You make one thing. It looks like a wonton, right? <laughs> they bend the wonton in a rose. They f- my mother loves it because my grandmother's best friend was Bade's, right? So they make it in a, they make a, they make a wonton thing. It looks like a noodle and they fry it and they put vina cotta on it, which is yeah, nice. It's good, yeah. You make one thing. Neapolitan make 18,000 million things for Christmas. We, ha- we have an armada and you have a rowboat. And you're going to tell me every th- boat in my armada stinks. So I, Rosella's not here. You and Nikki, wherever you are today, have fun. Because today is a Jersey Neapolitan day. Go back to New York. It's a real cool. Bades, I should just go home. I may go home. Bades, New York people, you have your own thing. And you can talk about Shkatalat for three hours. I mean, what are you going to talk about all this time with Shkatalat? They bend them. They fold them. They bend them. You know, my grandmother the makes all these. You got to be careful. No, your grandmother makes the stars. Well, she makes them with the dye. You with know, the, the star the, thing. Yeah, the mold. Made, yeah. yeah, okay, we have two things. Now they have two rowboats <laughs> and we have an armada. So all So we're here. Now, why am I, why do I, bro, Mary Grace is a, a brilliant person. I call you an artist, right? Thank you. She has succeeded her father as the owner of the store. It was named Giorgio's after her father, who unfortunately passed uh, this past March. Yep. So I know it's very hard for you because you're going through the holidays as a daughter who lost her father. This is true. And you're going through the holidays as, as a business partner who lost her partner. This is also true. And yet in the back of the store, doing everything you did without him after yes. many years. And I know it's an emotional time. Yes. And your father was a brilliant individual, originally from Torre del Greco. I would come into the store. I was agree with Cavaliere, which I love, which is fantastic. Yep. John started that. Thank you, John. C A V A V V A D D, the new hashtag. C A V A V V A D D. Yeah, the new hashtag. So change the license and plates. She has such a fantastic story, Mary Grace. If I could say, you are a graduate of Fordham University with I degree am? in history. This is true. And I want to have you on another podcast, another episode, because I want to do an episode on Italian Americans who go back and take over the family business, right? Who go to school for something else. Yeah. You know, my friend. Anthony Violante went to Seton Hall. He had a business degree. He went back. Anthony, I know you're not listening, so I could say whatever I want. <laughs> Everybody goes, you listen. I say, well, I mentioned you. Oh, yeah. yeah I was <laughs> That's right. That's a bad reception. Out. The dog. Yeah. I was walking the dog. I must have missed dog. that episode. I missed that episode, <laughs> so if you don't listen, hey. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> what was I saying? 
ATT. Imagine telling me that we're out here to see Mary Grace, who's the admiral on the Neapolitan flotilla. She she has a history degree from Fordham, and there's a little bit of anthropologist in her, like me and John, and that's why I brought her to the table. This is true. And I think she has so much to share with us because you came back into the family business. Um, your father's gone. I never really left. In fairness, I always had one foot in. You know, that's the story right there. Exactly. Lived above the store. True, true Italian fashion. Yep. Um, and you continue to make authentic Neapolitan, hashtag Neapolitan, <laughs> desserts and Christmas confections in a Hoboken that has changed tremendously. Yes. In, our, li- in our lifetime. Oh, God, yes. So you Continues saw- to change. Yeah. And that's why I brought you to the, the table today because... Where do we go from here? You're the, you're the I'm the ADD person. So you're much the for the coup, right? <laughs> this is like I don't even know. I'm gonna because I'm gonna go on for days and go say, well, you know, the prime minister's been brought back in. Uh, well, we're, we're here live recording in the bakery, which I think is wonderful because I got here a little early, and I was able to see the back. And Mary Grace was great to share a cup of coffee with me and sort of take me back and show me around. I mean, the place is fantastic. It's been a bakery for. Even Over a hundred years, yeah. Here, right? yeah. How long has it been a bakery? At least a hundred years. And There's a print of this street, um, and it goes back, to, I think, into the 1890s, something like that. Wow. And it's this, it's a bakery I in mean, this spot. The equipment in the back is fantastic. Yeah, it's I have m- machinery back there from 1935. That's to me that that's like a huge thrill. I mean, I'm, we're looking around and. Um, Everything feels like it sort of sprouted up from the ground here. I mean, in so many cases, I find places that you go and, you know, they may still be family owned or they may have sort of switched hands. But we have this weird Italian compulsion to, like, do the unnecessary renovation and make everything look really kind of cheesy. And this place is authentic. It's not uh, cheesy looking, you know. It looks Neapolitan. It looks real. It looks like a place. I know when I come into a place like this, you could smell the quality, you can see it in what's in the cases. It's not one of those, this might have been brought in from Bindi or they may be thawing out Frozen's Fidel kind of places. You know, I know you guys are really doing this here. Um, but your family took the business over in the 70s. 70s. Yes. So your parents came from. So my mother was Bronx Italian, ah. grew up on Arthur Avenue, wow. above the religious article shop. That's not there anymore, right? Is it? I, no, I haven't I been there in I a long time. I haven't been back Danielle to that. Danielle would know. Right next place. door to Our Lady of Mount Carmel yep. Church. Wow. Um, and then my dad was born and raised in Italy. Not just born and raised in Italy, born and raised in Torre del Greco. This is true. This is true. true Naples. Yeah. True yes, Naples. Yes, that's true. No, even true Torre del Greco. It's even more Naples probably than right, Naples. Right, right. It's also the... Cameo capital of the world. Cameo capital. This is true. Yes, absolutely. And came over in the late '60s. Was in Brooklyn. He also worked up on the Upper East Side or the Upper West Side, wherever there was the German town. Upper East Side. Yorkville. Yes. Yorkville. Yorkville. Yes, for a while. Set up on a blind date with my mom. They got married. Settled in Brooklyn. I was born in Brooklyn. All right. Yes. That sorry makes to two tell of us. Yes. Uh, I didn't. Yes. What? Sorry. How come I know you all these years? Now this I don't out. know. I don't know. Who are you a secret agent? I, I yes, am. Who is double agent? Who is No cash show for you, Patty. <laughs> um, my dad was working in a place in Queens, I think, and he happened to pick up the phone one day. 
when it rang in the bakery and somebody other on the other line, side of the line said, do you have any interest in buying a bakery? And uh, he and my mom came over and took a look at this place. My mother was frightened out of her mind because <laughs> Hoboken at the time was gritty. Yeah. It was really gritty. And um, they decided to buy it. And here we are. You mentioned Hoboken was gritty. And so I find it really interesting because, you know, as a Brooklynite, and I think for Italian-Americans who come from Italian enclaves in any major city, I don't think there's any city I can think of in, in the U.S. that didn't go through a dip and an adjustment in the 60s into the 80s and 90s when I think really the whole country was sort of reassessing what an urban landscape meant. I mm -hmm. mean, we're in like this new urban right. period now where everybody's rediscovered. Right. It's great to live downtown. And if you would have asked people like us 25 years ago, our families were fleeing the city centers and later than most had, actually. Italians kind of left the latest. Um, was Hoboken hit particularly bad? Because you don't hear too much about I mean, Newark was obviously there were riots and a lot of devastation. Hoboken had a riot. It did. Really? Yeah. First well, you know what was happening back in the day? There were fires. There were there yeah. were arsons. Uh, arsons? Yeah. People were were committing arson to get people out of buildings. Wow. Yeah. That's great. It's just, you, you think of Hoboken now. You know, Hoboken kind of was at the forefront of the rebirth of the tri-state area urban landscape and everybody kind of came here first and then Jersey City and then Weehawken. But Hoboken, I, you never think of it having gone through, at least from an outsider perspective, right. a rough period. But so this neighborhood... Although, I mean, in also think about it this way. Hoboken continues to be the butt of a lot of jokes. That's true, too. You know, yeah. because it had that gritty... There's a gritty perception of it. Um, it also has a strange name. I think also because a lot of... The service people went through here during World War Two. It, you know, it must have garnered some kind of. Um and the reason they did for you, those of you who don't know the geography, is Hoboken was a major shipping port. Yes. Well, they had. They used to have the propeller works where they fixed all the propellers. Sure. For, it was a, yeah. In World War One, it was the major yes. part port of uh, embarkation right. to World War One, and all the American bodies of the service people had who had fallen in combat in World War One were shipped back to Hoboken. Um, it was almost the Dover Air Force Base of World War One. Yeah, I think people don't think about the fact, especially we, we try not to be New York, New Jersey-centric, but obviously we're here, and it is a big part of the Italian-American story and the American story because so many families of all ethnicities came through this area. But what people don't realize is, you know, these New, New Jersey communities along the waterfront, particularly in an effort like a war effort where people and resources are being brought in from all over the country, to, to ship anything in and out of New York City... Uh, which is, you know, Manhattan had been f way overcrowded by that point, so shipping traffic was just nowhere near what it needed to be. Brooklyn and Queens are two rivers away from the rest of the mainland United States, so New Jersey's waterfront is really the entry point, at, particularly in the railroad or roads, into the New York area, so it, it's sort of the, the hub. Yeah, uh, and, you know, you, you bring up a great point. Along the waterfront, the movie Along the Waterfront was shot here, and I've spoken, there was a huge, this town in the 60s was 60% Molfettes from Molfetta di Bari. I think that's wow. a real number. It was like 64% either born in Molfetta or of Molfetta descent. Wow. Um, the numbers changed. Puerto Ricans came in in the late 60s, early 70s. You know, there was a big Irish population here that kind of shifted out. So there was a lot of movement. And big <laughs> German population, too. Huge German right. population. But um, I spoke to someone from Molfetta who came here in the early 50s, and they were all longshoremen. 
But they were longshoremen before containers. Yeah. See, now we have container terminals yeah. and a guy sits on a crane. And he said that when he came here, and he was on all these great longshoremen jobs, it was backbreaking. Absolutely. So the Italians who came here, a lot of people came here from Cajano, uh, Monte San Giacomo, 100. Probably yep. Monte San Giacomo is probably the biggest rival with yes. Mofetta for dominance. I would say so. Mofetta <laughs> might win on numbers. Monte San Giacomo <laughs> on St. Anne's. Um, there was a lot of people from Cajano. There was people from Sorrento, Meta di Sorrento. Cesarunca had a large population here. It was very much connected to the Jersey City Italian-American community until the Holland Tunnel split them in half. Ah, that makes and sense. And it's geographically kind of separated. It's kind of like Darwin. The Colossus. <laughs> they, yeah, they, the they, island they, broke yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the turtles got. This is this is the Galapagos, and Jersey City's the mainland. So, in, you know, Jersey City has a rich Italian American history. It still does to this day. Obviously, people know Frank Sinatra's born here. Uh, Jimmy Roselli, born in Hoboken, right? Yep. Two of the more famous Italian American entertainers. But when you guys got here, like you say, the area around was quote-unquote sketchy, the Italian community was smaller than it had been? I mean, were the businesses still here? It was... It's weird to think about it because you have to really transport yourself back in time. Um, I would say there were a lot of Italian businesses in Hoboken. It's funny, now probably once a month somebody will come in and say, well, where's the Italian section? And I say, it doesn't exist anymore. Wow. Not really. Um, but there know. are a lot of Italian businesses still here. Yes. Yes. But not as many as there used to be. Sure. Is this Washington Street considered the Italian street? Like, is this the equivalent of, you know, Mulberry or Arthur Avenue? Um, You know, there was no... It's, it's, you know, Hoboken it's, it's, is weird because it's so small. We're right. a mile square. So... I would say the western side of town, there were a lot of Italians mm. that lived there. Washington Street is the main street in Hoboken, right. so most of the businesses are, are on Washington Street. Because I, I, came, I came here a little early and I got out, and of course, one of my big addictions is vintage Italian-American signage. So I saw the sign over the store here, and then I looked next door, and there's the deli, I mean, this beautiful sign on the deli, and then there's a pizzeria, and I thought to myself... As a first-time explorer of the area, you know, maybe maybe I'm in what I is a corridor. Can I just say, if I had to articulate what it was, mm -hmm. there are two Italian parishes here. First Italian parish was St. Francis, and that was made for the Genovese because the first Italians that came, I would say probably around the time of the American Civil War, who came to Hudson County, Jersey City, and Hoboken, were f from Liguria, 100%. Mm -hmm. There was a very strong Genovese community here. The southern Italians came in from Salerno. They came in from the Val di Diano, of course, the, the center of civilization. Yes, of course, yes. John's people. And they came in, and the people from Liguria flipped out because they did not want to be surrounded by Southerners because, remember, the, the United Italy was about 10 years old. Yeah. So the Ligurians had their parish, which was St. Francis, would not take the Southern Italians. So down the block, the Southern Italians built St. Anne's. And St. Anne's, which started as a storefront church, is named for Santana, who is, even though Monte San Giacomo is named for St. James, the principal patron saint is St. Anne. And that's where the famous St. Anne's Feast comes from. Right. Which, is I, more, which is still a vibrant feast. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that the corridor between St. Anne's and St. Francis is maybe the most Italian part of town. Yeah. Now, I'm going to say something else as a, as a non-Hoboken person. I think that Hoboken does not say how Italian it is because there's so many clubs left. The Monte San Giacomo that's Club. True. 
Mofetta's club is still here. In fairness, the Pat, Juventus you're club. out in the world more than I am. I'm in my own little bakery That's true. bubble. You're in the back. However, the back. having said that, <laughs> I agree with you. But I think it's also that a lot of them come back to yes. town. Yes, Because maybe they'll live in nearby cities, but they'll come Udrich. back to the club. Udrich. Udrich. <laughs> because I think the beauty of this town is the Italians invest in real estate. And when this town was in its gritty days, kind of down in its hard knocks times, the Italians bought property and they bought for a song beautiful brownstones that are now worth a king's ransom. And they moved out. They now live in the towns around where I live in North Arlington, Woodridge, nice middle-class communities. And they come back. Their favorite time of the, of the month is the first of the month. And they correct, <laughs> collect those rents. Rent. <laughs> a rent. And they come. And hipsters pay them money. <laughs> and the Italians say, thank you. Make my house and the hipsters nice. are great because you, you don't have to change the tin ceilings. You, yeah, they yeah. love the and old they go cast home. iron tubs. They go crazy for it. They yes. love our rent. Yeah, that's a big they deal. They love the come the first of the month. It's a good reason to come back. I think Hoboken hit the lottery because they gentrified at the right time. There was still a lot of Italian businesses around in the early 80s. And yeah. by the time gentrification hit Jersey City, there was like three or four businesses left. It's real. Uh, you see that in some communities, like places that just couldn't hold on long enough. I know multiple Jersey City Italian business owners who said, if I had known what was going to take off... I never would have closed shop. Yeah, I would. I would have sweated out the '90s. Yeah, and when the hipsters came in, because they'd be rolling around in, in money today. I, I see so no. many places like that that have just missed the mark a little bit, and and it you know didn't hold out through the end of what was because uh, we're negative. Yeah, and, and, and who could have who could have foreseen? Ferru, it? Yeah, but that's yeah. it. I mean, who, who could have foreseen it? I mean, these I, are everybody said even a lot of people who are from Hoboken. The, everybody says it. Oh, I wish I would have known. Because it it's, was hard to imagine that it would turn into yeah, sure. yeah. what it did. And I think it's it's interesting, and it's it's part of the reason we're here today, really, to talk to Mary Grace about kind of what it means to be an Italian-American who sort of, you know, you talk about being in your bubble here. You left the bubble and chose to come back into the bubble. Different bubble than you left, obviously, right? I mean, Well, again, I never really left the bubble. I always had one foot here yeah. in whatever other endeavor I was involved with. But you weren't chained to the place. Well, no, but I did have very <laughs> strict Italian parents. <laughs> well, so that, that colors everything. That does, that's true. <laughs> but I find it interesting because I think sometimes like from a business perspective, right? Italian Americans set up businesses. Um, again, I always, I always point out, you know, I, I go back to... Um, Nick Pileggi's great piece in 1971 called The Red, White, and Greening of America. Italians were leaving the urban centers at a, at a far slower pace than other ethnic groups that had been there, in some cases, less time than we had. So we sort of made it through the down point for a lot of American urban centers. But we were of the mentality that the dream was to go outward and leave the cities. I don't think many people who come from an ethnic background like ours would look at these, you know, multifamily tenement houses, wooden constructed buildings in an ethnic enclave and foresee that this was going to be somewhere that people were going to be fighting to get an apartment. I mean, I remember my grandmother renting the apartments in our family home in Brooklyn. And for years when, when the Italians were leaving, she was renting them to Polish families or you know, from Greenpoint people. And then all of a sudden I started to help my grandmother manage the building when she got a little bit older. And like, 
there's these hipster couples coming in or like two young girls from the yeah, Midwest. But that's, that, that's the point is those tenements, the Italians had PTSD from 13 people living in three rooms. Yeah. Five people in a bed. You have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. You have to climb over two cousins and whatever. The people who came in took an apartment, a railroad apartment of three, three bedrooms, and it went from being 13 Italians in the 1920s to one hipster. Two hipsters. Yeah. So I think we also didn't see the demographic change. Right. They're not intended to be family apartments anymore. But my point being... But I think that's a good... You, John, the anthropologist, I think that's so much part of it because families didn't move in. Yeah. I mean, some did in Hoboken and they've converted. But the market now, the neighborhood is a hipster neighborhood. Not even hipster, but we have a lot of business professionals that live in Hoboken, at least in Hoboken. Maybe in Jersey, certain parts of... Yeah, I think so, too. They're, they're, They're what we call in the 80s yuppies. Yes, yes, exactly. So it's a yuppie hipster combo. Correct. No, you it's a yuppster. More, you have yuppies here now. Uh, in Jersey Hoboken, City's more it's hipster. mostly yuppie. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I, and and that's I don't think that's something any business owner who saw themselves serving a community that was going to come and go could have foreseen. Oh, absolutely not. That's a great lead-in, John. Exactly, because I stop in here when I walk through Hoboken for my my passeggiata experiences. I finally come in here because there's always a good story. You never do not have a good story about the new clientele. Oh, there's stories about the old clientele, too. I mean, people are <laughs> sure, people, sure. you know? Yeah. But how have you, let's, let's, how has it oh transitioned boy. from, what was, your, what, were the, what was your customer like 30 years ago compared to who, who your customer is today? How they change the way they buy, what they want? The non-Italians, how do you get them to try stuff or, you know? Well, Again, it, you know, it was like another universe. Hoboken back in the day was also full of factories, right? And what does that mean? You know, people went home to their families or baked goods home to eat. Also, everybody's eating habits have changed now. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but in my family, we do not eat the way we used to do. We in what sense? Do. Oh, we eat significantly less. Yeah, we do too. I mean, at the holidays and everything, it's, and having said that, you know, Sal and Enza made a huge, those are my cousins, huge Thanksgiving meal, <laughs> but huge, especially by non-Italian standards, but, um, and it was delicious, of course, um, but it, we don't eat the way we used to. I think that there's a, there's something about the competition for time that's also changing, like, I, I, I that's you true. know, you hear about this health standards and stuff, like, Nobody in my family is eating less because they're like, oh, my waistline or, oh, my cholesterol. I mean, thank God we have cholesterol medicine because my whole family's on it. We <laughs> crest our people. You, we should own stock. But I think part of it, too, is the style in which we eat is not conducive to a long sit-down meal anymore. People are just like – That's true. That we eat like- you know, and also maybe this sounds ridiculous, but people with kids – the, their weekends are taken up by activities with the kids. It is ridiculous. I right? mean, I, having I mean, no kids myself, I'm going to get crucified it, for this, but it is ridiculous. I mean, I, I understand it. It's just, it's, it's sometimes it's shocking because I grew up, I'm sure Pat grew up, I don't know about you, John, the, the sense of Sunday sure. being about family. Macarum, right. That's and I, now it's like this one has a soccer game, this one has track. And, I don't know children, how parents children, do it. The sports have I really killed. don't. Listen, I know we're going to get crucified, so get the hammer and nails out. But kids' sports have destroyed the family. They haven't helped. 
Because every time you want to do something now, well, you know, they, and they're every, I mean, how many, I mean, how many teams can you be on in one season? There was an interesting article that just came out not very long ago, a couple of days ago, about how that family meal is kind of a an essential to to psychological health for people. I mean, this is not a joke thing, and I mean, we always throw around the phrase "Make Sunday Italian Again," and we talk about it a lot. And I don't know if I've even ever shared on the air how it came up, but my family. You know, my parents have built businesses and my brothers and I have participated in them in different ways. And in some way, success took us into all different places where these businesses grew. And one day we looked around and we're like, wait a minute, we've built what the dream was, but we can't get macaroni on Sunday because one's in Florida, one was in Texas. And so we sort of said, let's commit to this was during the 2016 campaign. And we we, we took a riff on the president's now infamous uh, red hat and said, we'll make Sunday Italian again. And we made an effort to just sort of be at one of our houses for macaroni on Sunday. And then we took it out when I was at NIAF, and we used it there, and we use it on the show here. And it really is not necessarily a call to nostalgia for no reason. It's a call to values that I think are really important to the country. No matter what ethnic group you are, no matter what you eat, a family meal once a week is something that should not be seen as a luxury. You know what I mean? It's so fundamental to development for, for, for young people in particular. I, I think also the carb phobia. Everyone's now paranoid of this. And par- I mean, every week it's we can't eat this, don't drink that, eat this, don't eat this. I think it's a lo- I think we eat less and our habits Putin have changed and- a lot more. I think for Italian Americans in particular, a lot more based on social trends than on dietary trends. I really do. Yeah, uh, no, no, yeah. I agree with that. But I'm saying I think a lot of like food trends, like keto, right? Is keto a food trend? Is it a social trend? You know, and then keto's going to be gone, and then Atkins was big, and then, yeah. you know, intermittent fasting is big, and then that's gone, and something. So I'm trying, there's a constant, um, but I think there's just less people. We don't have these huge families of, like, who eats? That's true, because there's, there are less of us now, right? Yeah. I mean, who's having right. the who, huge families? And, those, yeah. and who can eat four pasta chart at one sitting? A 17-year-old <laughs> high school kid. Yeah. So who could, who could wipe it out? Oh, yeah, you know. Junior just ate four steaks, right? Because he's and he's seventeen, right? Right. So I think as we're graying, because more and more of us are having less and less kids. Yeah. So you're around the family table, and it's not, you know, ten old people with thirty kids screaming and running around. It's ten old people with two kids. Yeah. And two kids can't eat four pasta chart. I think that's a big part of the story too. But I think you're right. I think I think eating habits are just fundamentally different. I, I I I I'm not. I talk like I'm in the family, and I really mean. It. I don't know. I don't know you guys. I know very few of you. I don't know if I'll ever know. I would like to meet everyone, and I say that sincerely. Who listens? I take this as a huge honor that people, because my family doesn't like to listen to me. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm very impressed that, and my family doesn't understand why anybody would listen to me. That means that I, I don't think people know that. Like uh, we have this conversation a lot. If you are a listener, particularly if you're a loyal listener, and you have been with us through this story and this experience, and you reach out to Pat. He's around. He he loves to dig into why you're listening. Of what? Like, you, why are you listening? Yeah, to me? My really, mother, but like, like, he, nobody in my family. Yeah. Like, why would you want to listen? Yeah. To um, I think a huge crisis is we didn't have a lot of kids, and I'm not. I'm trying. You take thriving communities like the Amish, and I'm not. This isn't like I don't want to sit off a firework and then someone because <laughs> someone's going to message me. What are you trying to say? And I, what I'm trying to say is that we take the Amish, you take um, Hasidic Judaism, right? They have a lot, a lot of kids. And their businesses are prospering, and they're buying, like, rugula, well, I don't know, shoe fly pie. I mean, they're making a lot of stuff because they got a lot of 17-year-olds who can eat yeah. their weight in cookies and candy, it and they're healthy. It. Right? You got a 17-year-old kid can eat 18 pounds of, 
a pasta chart and he's never going to get diabetes, right? And then, oh, I can't eat this. This is high. That's low. I've heard people say this, and I don't know if you're going to conclude with this, is that the bakery business, I'd say in the 60s maybe, in the 70s, was a biscott business. Because the Italian old ladies would come in and buy a pan of biscotti because that's what they had for breakfast. They had, you know, latte cafe and they dipped the cookie in. Yes, but I mean, people would buy their pastries on Sunday. Oh, sure. Sunday, right? Sunday was uh, after mass. Go get a loaf of bread. Go buy a box of pastries. But the day-to-day stuff was the biscotti. Yeah, I would say that's pretty fair. Yeah. And I think the Italian families were attached because if you lived in the block, you went to a bakery. Right. You well, went that's to a what pastry I was shop. To you were loyal. I mean, again, back then, people lived in closer proximity to each other. And if you were living in a place like this, kind of urban little center here, you had the stores in close proximity as well. So you could walk down the block to the bakery or and you knew to the fruit store. Of course. And they you were know, your neighbors. Yeah. yeah. Franny, I mean, how's your exactly. daughter doing? You Gee, know the whole story. I'm sorry to hear about your yes, uncle. Yeah. Yes, and everybody yes. knew them. They knew you. Right. You got on each other's nerves sometimes, you know, because you were neighbors and because, you know, there was, right. you, had rela- you had real relationships. Right. And people. I'm very fortunate because that is the case for me still. I mean, there are a lot of faces in Hoboken that I don't know. This is a, a running thing that people from Hoboken will say, I walk down the street, I don't know anybody anymore because there's so much change. But I'm very lucky because I do run into people in the neighborhood and get a chance to talk to people and I am their neighbor and we share that experience. They, they buy different. I would walk through Hoboken. This was like my middle... I, I love to walk through Hoboken. So if you see me walking around... Hope, I, I actually had the only time a listener ever recognized me by my voice. Just recognized me was, was, <laughs> was, was in Hoboken. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying it was a great experience, but uh, the only yeah. time um, to get back to Mary Grace is I was walking through Hoboken, and I would stop here on a Saturday, and I'd hear the, the bell, which you, I'm sure you've heard it at one time, because we're taping while the store is open. Yeah. We're all hanging out in the front of them, people looking at us. I don't think they have any idea what we're doing <laughs> here, but Mary Grace is in her baking attire. We're here just chilling, and the bell constantly rings because people would walk in, and I came from an Italian grandmother who bought in pounds and dozens. Yeah. My grandmother would go in a bakery, give me three dozens, four dozens, do eight pounds, six ways? pounds. Yeah, come here now for an afternoon. Do. You want, you want yes, to be an anthropologist? True. You want the, the anthropologist? Saturday is the day. Saturday is the day. I would come in, and Mary Grace is behind the counter, and there was a family here, true diverse America. I call them the Benetton commercial, right? Very diverse, <laughs> very well-educated, every ethnicity, every race, every creed. The, you know, they were a very diverse family. Mm. And they were here with their child, who was an amalgamation of America, right? And they were asking 18,000 questions, right? Uh, hi. Oh, my God. It's like a real Italian bakery. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. It's like <laughs> Italian, and that's kind of cool. And, you know, the grandmother's there, and they're all perfectly dressed. And, and oh, my God. So what is this called? That's a cookie? Oh, my God. <laughs> the red thing is a cherry. Is that gluten-free? <laughs> is that this free? Is that... Is there artificial coloring in the cherries? <laughs> Do you know where the cherries came from? Were they sprayed? Are they fair trade cherries? Oh, my God. What is this? Oh, my God. This looks so delicious. What is And they're asking 18,000. And the kid is there walking around, 5,000. Uh, and like to ask. Now, this is her time. is her money, right? Yeah. They're running the meter. And 
after asking 16,000 questions, they bought one cookie. Yeah. <laughs> I was here, man. You were there. They walk out. These, no, the reason I call them a Benetton commercial, the way they were dressed, they had money. Okay? The watch alone could have bought the store. I, out of embarrassment, I would have bought $100 worth of stuff because yeah. I wasted this girl's yeah. afternoon on 18000 And they gave the kid the cookie, right? And then they acted because the cookie wasn't like uh, organic... Uh, uh, <laughs> fair trade. It didn't, it didn't make anything on the checkbox. I was like, well, we have to buy, the, you know, we're going to give you one cookie, Junior, because you've been waiting for the cookie. <laughs> they give the cook, kid the cookie, and then they want Mary Grace to, like, applaud. <laughs> like, just put 50 cents. I would have charged them $8,000 for that cookie. When they said, I want that one cookie, I said, okay, $8,000. <laughs> just so they didn't come back, right? And then they're like, okay, we bought a cookie. Now tell us how great we are. <laughs> and I felt like saying, you know, this girl, and I'm not trying to, Say that she was better or worse than anybody because she had a degree. Like, she's got a <laughs> history degree from Ford. She's a very smart, educated person. And you're acting like the 95 cents you spent in here, you know, is going to keep her fed for the next month. Yeah. I mean, and they came in here, and I call it faux respect. It's like, a, like oh, you're an Italian. That's kind of cool. Are you in the mafia? Like, I was waiting for the next, the next question after about the cherry colors. Like, are you in the mafia? <laughs> do, you, do you bury people in the back? <laughs> Am I wrong, man? I'm going to try not to get my foot stuck in my mouth because <laughs> right, it's one of my great talents. But I will say this, okay? And Come in here and spend this money. This is also... Hey, hold on. Wait, wait. If you're going to spend a quarter, don't come. You can spend $10. We can live with that. That's not, no, if that's it's not a, helpful. If it's, no, no. Come on. You know, a quarter on a regular basis is fine. However, having said that, a couple things. One, you and I, we have lived this experience... It's part of our, of our life to come in and go shopping in a local place. For a lot of people, this is, and I've, I've said this, not exactly the right description, but in a way, it's kind of like being in Epcot or something. Yes, I totally agree Especially with during the holidays or, yes. you know, on a Saturday, people have free time. And I have to remind myself about this because... Yes, I do get short sometimes. Sorry, everybody. Um, but they come in as tourists, right? So this is an experience of being in a real bakery um, and, a, and an Italian bakery, right? Yeah, which, and which comes with a cranky proprietor most of the time. Okay, so see, to be I fair, don't know. You don't have to apologize. Okay, that's good. I'm yeah, glad to know that. We Italians are, we are the... I don't care what anybody says. We we wrap things the best. It looks great, but we are the worst customer service. <laughs> I mean, people. in fairness, no, you know, sometimes sometimes you catch you can I can go either way, right? Yeah. I mean, especially on a Saturday, I can go either way. Yeah. But I've learned to keep reminding myself that these people are tourists. This is yeah. part of an experience for them. It's not, and I think maybe this maybe that's what it is. It's not necessarily the baked goods. For a lot of these people, it's the experience. Yeah, sure, but they're not paying for the experience. This is where I jump in and you defend. Thank you. Said, you want you want to have but the Mary Grace Italian cookie conversation? It's twenty dollars. <laughs> I'll ask. I'll ask That's about not the world anymore. What do you That's call not about the world. The, the cherries, if they came from a fair but trade Pat, cherry farmer. This is farmer. the other thing, though, too, and and this is something that's strange for me. People don't realize that I'm wearing all the hats. So I'm out here taking care of customers, and then I have to run in the yeah, back I mean, and start baking you're, again. You're very, you're, People you're don't understand that, especially because that's a very popular question. Do you bake everything here? And when the answer is yes, sometimes people are taken aback because it's not we a common the, thing anymore. Mary Grace, you're in front of the counter, then you go back. You're Seven answering days the phone. A week. You go, what do you do to relax? 
As my dad used to say, I'm locked away. I don't relax. Your father said that. Yeah, my father said that. He always had, who just tell you something? You'd go in the back of the store and the Italian TV was always on. Well, let me tell you something. If Italian TV is how you relax, Media Set Italia's got all your favorites this holiday season. Irresistible Italian entertainment on DirecTV. You can discover new recipes with a new series of Cotto e Mangiato, always delicious and perfect for the holidays. You can keep up with the beloved game show host Jerry Scotti on Conto Lorevescia. And don't miss touching new drama series, Oltre la Soglia, starting December 15th. DirecTV has the Italian TV that you love. Get Mediaset Italia a la carte for $10 a month plus taxes or the Italian package for $20 a month plus taxes. Call 877-778-4794 today. That's 877-778-4794. World Direct a la carte service requires activation of a qualifying base package, hardware available separately at an additional cost. New customer offers require equipment lease and credit approval. Other conditions may apply. Call 1-877-778-4794 or visit att.com for full details. Now that, I'll tell you what, that's what I do all, to relax. It was all, no, honestly, your father always had... That's true. The Italian TV was always on. There was always a cup of coffee on the table. Yes. So you're baking everything and then coming out when the bell rings and selling. A lot of times, yeah. yes. Unless one of my elves are here, you know, <laughs> then, um, no, then I'm back and forth, you know, and... There have been occasions, and sometimes it's, or more often than not, it's a Saturday that, especially people on a Saturday, right? Because they're free, they're having fun, so they have a certain emotional state when they come in that it's like, oh, it's Saturday, isn't it great? And I'm just like, <laughs> You're I have to get back <laughs> to this cake. This person's coming at 11 o'clock, and it's a quarter to 11, I haven't finished it yet. And it's a different mindset completely. Well, I, I think it's really interesting, you know, you're a business that has gone from serving a homogeneous ethnic community to a mixed bag of people from all different life experiences. Dining habits, both within the ethnic community and outside, have changed from I'm coming in and buying by the pounds, we're going to have a big meal or my cookies for breakfast, to grazing and snack times. Or as my parents would say, portion control. Portion control. Like, I, I, I can't imagine, maybe once in Blue Moon, if I've been starving, I've come into a bakery and said, you know, I'll have a cookie or something. Maybe. I, I don't. And you, also, I, I, I think we have to, when we're talking about cookies, we mean like little cookies, not yes. giant you know, oh, like a, a big, yeah. we're it talking about not, the little not cookies. Not a trash right. can, su- right. lid size exactly. chocolate chip cookies. We're talking about, about Italian cookies. Exactly. I, th- I find it really interesting. You're handling a different clientele. You're handling them in a different way. The interactions are different. The numbers are different. What about the actual product? Do you have stuff here that you make now that is in demand that hasn't historically been? And are there items that you guys used to sell when it was primarily Italian-Americans that don't sell anymore? Maybe you've taken them off the, the list. That's a complicated question. Um, there are a lot of different factors um, when it comes to why certain things are here and not more why they're not here anymore mm-hmm. than why they're here. Uh, the one thing I have to say, which is really interesting, is because of the whole gluten-free thing, the pignoli cookies, those types of cookies, the almond macaroons, those have become very, very popular. I mean, they um, always were popular. Bum, yes. Bum. That's yes. Pat's yes. Pignoli fame. nuts will co- kill me. <laughs> yes. I don't know if you know that. For people out there, if you want to whack me, that's the way. That's the kryptonite. I'm deathly allergic. Yeah. I carry EpiPens everywhere. Yeah. But Mary Grace has 
graciously offered that anyone who comes in and mentions the Italian American podcast will get one pignoli cookie in my honor. <laughs> She's gonna get <laughs> come in here. How much do they got to spend to get one pignoli cookie in my honor? I will give them the pignoli cookie in your That's honor. That's right. For come that. in here and say, Mary Grace, I heard you on the podcast, and you get a pignoli cookie in my honor. <laughs> Bite the cookie, <laughs> take a picture, and stick it on Instagram because they're all obsessed with this Instagram. I'm this not involved. True. And yes, then Rosella, the Insta- Instagram, this and Instagram. We that. try. And I got to post pictures because now I got to post pictures. Can you make well, I, well, and having said that, here's another interesting thing. I have people now who come in and will have a conversation. Like they have a conference call or they'll do FaceTime um, when they have to order stuff. What With who? With whoever they're buying for or with. Wow, that's crazy. It's a different. Pat I mean. is looking at me with his. <laughs> no, I, I get it because, like, I don't know. You have to hang out here to get the vibe. Because, like, you know, you have, I call it the very Italian moments here. Right. The Christmas Eve. It's when true. There's 18,000 it's Italians true. On. It's, like, you we're really, it's a, you know. Yes, we almost had a fist fight. Tell the, I love that story. Oh, God. So what happens at Christmas Eve, which that's the craziest day of the year here, um, a line usually forms, which is the order pickup line. And then there's another line that forms that is people who just walk in off the street and want stuff line. And it's not a big space, and it, the store becomes jam-packed full. So this one guy who was a first-timer, he didn't know where to stand. And um, we had another lady who was picking up, and she was or is an anxious-type person. So she got very nervous and said to the young man, get on the right line, jackass. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Yeah. Uh, Dalian. <laughs> um, so get on the right line, jackass. Yes. I'm sure that was a great way to start the holiday. This was in the beginning of the day. This was like at 8.30 in the morning. Wow. wow. And for me, it's Merry really... Merry Christmas Eve exactly. to you. Exactly. For me, it's really strange now, too, because I'm in the back now. I'm not out in the front anymore. So... I get reports from the field from my little foot soldiers out here, and they just kept coming back. Mary Grace, there's going to be a fist there's fight. There's going to be a fight. She there's going to the be a fight. Like, what do you mean there's going to be a fight? They're like, no, really, there's going to be a fight. Well, what happened was somebody else on the line who is kind of a big guy, he says to the lady, who are you calling jackass, jackass? Oh, and then apparently, this is like a sketch on, a, on yes, Saturday Night Live. And then apparently it sort of got a little heated, and... Um, one of my helpers, who is our most mellow and chill amongst the group, came around the counter to the line part, and he was like, guys, guys, it's only cake. It's Christmas. Come on. Is that Francis? That is Francis. I know it. That was Francis. Yes, it was Francis. So, um, and he kind of dissipated all this um, hostility. Thank God. That's got to be the one day of the year if you're a business, Italian-American business, and you have product that you're making there, and, and, and you know, it's t- time-sensitive. It's got to be a rough day. I mean, a great day because, you're, you know, you're, you're doing great business and people come back, but that's got to be demanding. It's, it's hard because, um, well, first of all, for me, and when my siblings used to help out in the shop, you know, there's all the emotional component, right, because it was always the most stressful day, and so there's always the Christmas issues that are involved with that. So that's always floating around in the background. But then just logistically, it's how do you 
serve all these people because there's a lot of people that come back, you know, they, in a they short want a amount of time. Man, I haven't no, seen you know you what? Now? There's no, t- on Christmas Eve, there's no, really no time. But for do you them. have to hide from them because they want to Well, like I said, now I'm in the back baking all the time. So if somebody really wants to see me, they will stick their head around the bends and stick their head in the kitchen. But you really have no time to talk because it's just, it's such a crush of people. But it's, you know, where do you put products? Because we don't have a lot of space. It's like everybody all at once comes back, right? So what goes in the refrigerator? What goes on a shelf? You know, how do you make sure the person's order comes together in, in a, you know, expeditious way? Um, it's, it's challenging. And then making sure you have it because there are, you know... What do you mean? You ran out of I blank. Ran, exactly. I came all the way yes. from blank. I yes. drove three hours. Exactly. Exactly. Know how much I spent in gas and you don't have blank? You mind. Why aren't you not a mind so reader? So a whole bunch of years ago when um, the cake boss went on the air, we were getting a lot of overrun from that. Because it's down the block, basically. It's down the block in whatever people's issues are, they are. But uh, So we were getting a lot of overrun from that, and um, we were not prepared. So we ran out of lobster tails, and it was pretty early in the day. <laughs> <laughs> it was like 11.30 in the morning, and we ran out of lobster tails. And my cousin was helping out at the time, so he comes out with a tray, and he says to us, this is it, there are no more lobster tails. And there was an audible... Oh, from the crowd, they were got so um, frustrated. Let me ask you a question yes. because because uh, Roselle was not here today, <laughs> and we could talk about Neapolitan Christmas cookies <laughs> without the input that they're hard, which they're not. <laughs> what are some of your Christmas specialties? Like, if people come here this time of year, I'm gonna say Neapolitan because that's. That I'll makes be honest it with you. I mean, honestly, we have done less of that over the years, which I'm. You know, sad to say, my time gets split up amongst a lot of different things. But the, the listenership is loyal. They're going to come in. Your Mustachella number is going to go through the roof. I don't even know if I'm going to do that this year. Really? Yes, we didn't sell a lot last year. Do you make a lot of stuff seasonally? It really depends on the kind of time we have. Listen, if you're out there, she's going to make some Mustachella because we put her on the air. <laughs> and now she's going to feel bad because you're going to come in from the middle of nowhere and drive in. She is the princess. She is the queen of the rainbow cookie. Oh, really? Oh, did you have? Do you have any rainbow cookie? Um, John I do. wants to show you. Well, see, even that. I love your rainbow cookie. It, yeah, I know. You should make a T-shirt. Um, Mary Grace's rainbow oh, cookie. Let's boy. sell T-shirts out the window. Are these family recipes? Yes. So you make yeah. shrewfully. What else? Come on. Let's let's hear it. Honestly, you understand? We're I, used to this. We're in North Jersey. There's people right, out no, there. I know. I know. But again, we have our, you know, Italian Italian clientele. We have Italian clientele that's become more Americanized. And then we have the clientele who celebrate Christmas, but are not Italian. Or, you know, just I need a box of pastries or whatever. So it's hard for me to know what exactly. um, To predict. To predict what's going to be. You know, and there are times that I'll make quirky things and... Nobody buys them, and <laughs> like, what? what? What's like a quirky thing? Like, what's an experiment? I don't know. Like, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything right now. But sometimes, like, odd cheesecakes, or, mm. um, or on the flip side of that, like, you know, every once in a while, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna make a baba cake. Yeah. This is a this is a this is a going. Yeah, I'm gonna make some baba cakes, and I'll put them out, and I'm like, I'm sure somebody's gonna buy it, and it'll sit there. But they don't know what a baba is. 
Right. But there are some people that do, right? Because we have both sets of clientele. Yeah. It's hard, you know, because... Because I'll be in here, and then I love when I call it Miss Wisconsin comes in. <laughs> or you have somebody from the Midwest, and they'll come in like, oh, my God. And I know because they're so much taller than us. Because <laughs> they're like six... I'm very, I mean, they are tall Italian females, mostly Sicilian. There's not a lot of us, right? But they come in, they're like, all of them are 6'2", they're all blonde. They got a little bit of sun damage because God did not give them the <laughs> skin to be out in the sun. And they're always in like jogging yoga pants. They come in and they're like, oh, hi. It's it's the same crowd that buys the one cookie. And they'll ask for like, do you have like cinnamon maple like pumpkin cupcakes? Yeah, that's true. And she's like, no. They're like, oh, my. And they'll ask for all the Medigan stuff. Yeah. And my thing is I love all kinds of food from all different nationalities. I am, I am one thing I am not is, is a chauvinist when it no. comes to the table. You are equal opportunity. I'll eat anything. Right? God Particularly bless me. sweets. Yeah. So if I go into like something, an Asian yeah. place or something that's Arabic or something that's Northern European, anything, I'll say, what do you make? Yeah. Like, what's your specialty? So many times I've, I've sat here, I've been here hanging out on a social basis with Mary Grace, and somebody walks in and they ask for like the pumpkin spice a cupcake or the other more traditional American thing that she doesn't happen to carry. And they're, like, about to walk out. And I'm like, why don't you try? I, I, not, I never say anything because it's not my place to say it. But I feel like saying there's so many other things here. Yeah. Why don't you use this as an opportunity to try something different? I love your casatina. They're beautiful. They're in the window. And I'll tell you this, Pat. So when I do have casatina now, I do them gluten-free. Wow. Is that I guess it is. It is. And because I was, you know, thinking about what This is why you're a smart cookie, most man. natural thing to... To easily make it gluten free, like pastry wise, and, and I was like, oh, let me ask something. So people with gluten issues come in, yes, and they say I, I can't eat uh, gluten, right. And you say have a casatina. Do they come back and say, wow, that was fantastic, or wow? Yeah, there's some people who do. I mean, we definitely have the people who come in for the almond cookies. We we do an almond orange cookie, for example, and uh, um, I have one helper in particular who likes to get people to try them. And they have a whole um, following now. And that's, a, that's a recipe that goes back to your father. Yes. One of my arguments is that taking traditional recipes and adapting them to new dietary yeah. concerns or taking recipes that do fit modern dietary concerns, you know? It's funny. Well, I, so I, I'm not a baker, right? Uh, I love to cook. I cook for my family holidays. I think baking and, and cooking are different. I think they are. baking is an, a real science and cooking can be more artistic and expressive. So I do the holidays for my family, and I'm like a complete devotee fundamentalist when it comes to recipes. If this is how my grandparents made it, you know. So I make Easter pies, and everybody in my family goes crazy. We eat meat pies, grain pies. So my brother's son, my nephew, who's like the apple of my eye, he's obsessed with being Italian. He's always asking me, Zio, is this Italian? I? So I try very hard to make him stuff. He He has... Every food allergy you could ever imagine. So his diet's very restricted. So last year I tried to find a recipe that would be gluten-free, vegan, egg-free, everything-free, a pastiera, a wheat pie. I, I tried my best. I really did. I was using things from the jungles of Borneo. This is gum. John is the king <laughs> of Italian cake reconstruction. <laughs> I tried he very hard. He watched the leopard. That one the, is hard. Oh, the man. I felt bad. No. The pastiera. I felt bad for the kid. I served him. It looked like a, a roadkill, like it had been run over because it didn't hold its shape. It was sticky and I think some kind of coconut rubber or whatever the heck. Some things you just can't. Man, that's the best idea. You could become for the Italians like me. Because, you know, like I know 
I'm really good at, I'm really knowledgeable, I would say, for a civilian. In baking now? Well, out of necessity. Out of necessity. Yes, I can't eat pine can't nuts. Eat I respect that. I go into an Italian bakery, and you know what it is? I don't want to put a baker on stress. Yeah. Because I'm like, um, you know, you're not running an operating room in the back, right? So did, did that piece of paper touch pinoli nuts? Did you touch pinoli nuts? Did the pinoli nut in the same oven? Do you think the oven was high enough to destroy it? So I, I just don't. Like, I'll buy stuff, but I'll give it to my mother. Yeah. So if I'm somewhere else, say, okay, I'll get something, but I'm not, I can't eat it because... I would I would love to eat it. I'm just some stuff. I mean, like Mary Grace knows me. It's like I'll come in for a St. Joseph's April because she knows specifically I'm coming in, and she, because she's such a good person, she will specifically put in like a. How can I not separate you off? Yeah, I'm separated into like a a, a Pinoli safe zone Aww. for my Zapolas. But it's it's um, I get that you should have. I always thought of the nut free Italian bakery. That would be tricky too. <laughs> that would be yeah. hard. I come we up do with love all these. our nuts. Yeah, yeah we do. In more way than one. Yeah, that's true. That's the whole premise of our then show. Then you'd say, "Well, I just don't want pinoles. We could have almonds." What could we do to make like instead of a pinoli cookie? Like, what would be a unique replacement that uh, we can make the pet pinoli cookie? Pinoli free instead of pinoles on top. What? What? Would well, we have we have the equivalent cookie, but without the pine nuts on top. What do you put on instead? It's just powdered sugar, exactly. Uh. Or the orange ones, you probably would like those, I think. What if, what if we did like no. chestnuts on top instead of a pat? Like well, chestnuts. I never had the orange cookie. This is news for me. Did you hear this? We need like a, a super alternative pinoli cookie for you. I think chestnut would be interesting. That would be interesting. I, I think of you, I think of the chestnut. You are the greatest champion for the I versatility of Acastania. Mm-hmm. I love Castagna. We have a book. Acastania da Mama. We bought a book in uh, <laughs> Naples of all the Neapolitan Mama yeah, the Slur. One was Acastania da Mama. <laughs> I still use that. That's my favorite. Acastania da Mama. I love that. But I mean, you know. No I, children, it can say Acastania da Mama. Because it's not as vulgar <laughs> it's not. as the other option. I mean, we all know what, you know. Acastania da Mama. Ocapuche da Mama. There's another one. Ocapuche da Mama. You know, I, I tell I brag about his pie all the time. Have you tried his his I have not. pie? That's I have an experiment not. we should do. I have a theory on that pie pad, actually. What's your theory? It it's not for uh, I'm gonna have to do it off air. I asked my mother, Ma, what eh. Thanks, Ma. What did you expect? Now my brother made it. She would have called up Savior magazine <laughs> yes. and said Get this my, in my son, the anointed one. God's <laughs> God's other son made <laughs> Do you ever experiment? You ever just like get like a woolly to try something whacked out? Yeah, occasionally. Yeah. What's your favorite item? You have something you like, or you just don't want to look at anything? To eat? Yeah. It's different for me. People come and ask me that question all the time, and I get so frustrated um, because it's really different for me. I'm around it all the time. I can snack on whatever I want yeah. for whatever reason I want it. Um, I don't know. I tend to like drier stuff, so I would go with a dry cookie. Oh, no wonder you two get along. Yes, or like a pastachato. Ah, I love custard. John wants to try your pastachato. This pastachato, the original is is with the custard, right? My understanding is that the original is with the custard. And then where did they evolve this out? What's the other alternative? With the ricotta? With the ricotta inside, right? You know, I don't know. I think that's just one of those things. Somebody used to call them pastachere. Somebody asked us about that and recently and asked. That she was the only one that called that. I've never seen it in that. Italy. That's the ricotta version. Yes. Pasticcere. Somebody just, I think Jeannie Allen asked me about that. And said, yeah, it was is, that what, she was, is yeah. that what she was looking for? I think so. Because I think of, um, 
The pasta chose with the cross. Mm-hmm. I have never think I've never seen outside of Hudson County. Jeannie was a guest on our show many moons ago who's an expert in education. Jeannie, if you're listening, we may have solved your riddle here. This also, I we don't drop, know We drop names in the podcast because people say, oh, I listen all the time. Do you really? Because we <laughs> mentioned your We're name. Testing you. I don't get the text that says, oh, you mentioned me. So if you're listening, don't tip them off. It's how we find out who our real yeah, friends that's are. True. So I'm sorry. So the pasta chocolate with the regatta, I don't know if that is an offshoot of pastiera. I think the same thing. It has because Whoa. they do make little pastera. A lot of yeah, times right. people will come in and say, is that a little pastera? And I'm like, no. But it's missing the grain berries. Exactly. exactly. Do you make pastera when the season comes? Yes. You just you say no, that with like, this look on your pastera face. No, because and I have a strange relationship. I want to okay? hear about this. Well, I mean, and this is a good tie-in because this is the one thing I wanted to say on the podcast. If any of you out there need to find out family recipes, do it. Yes. Ask people, if you are the holder of the family recipes, don't be proud. Share them with your family because there are so many times there are customers in here that are in tears because they don't have the recipes or, you know, their grandmother made something with um, a certain spoon and now they lost the spoon. Do what you can to get copies, you know, See how they work. Make them work. Yeah. It's really, really important. I mean, especially in all cultures. But, you know, we Italians, we think with our stomachs a lot. And yeah, we pass uh, our culture right? through food. And it's really important um, because I've seen too many people upset about that. So now having said that, while I, you know, made pastiero with my dad all the time, he never really wrote down recipes. Yeah. I never wrote down the pastiera recipe. Wow. And um, so I've been trying to piece it together from what I remember and what seems to be logical. So um, every time I seem to make pastiera, something goes haywire. It's funny. So I'm like the king of reverse engineering recipes, and I have my mom. You should come out, hang out. You guys, we could we we would be in the back for days. Like my mom's side, my grandmother, who she's 82, she wrote all her recipes down like 20 years ago. Like consciously wrote each of us by hand a cookbook, and I've cooked at her side for 20 years. Mm -hmm. My dad's parents passed away when I was in my teens, and when my grandfather passed away, I consciously sat down with my grandmother and said, "Okay, teach me this, teach me that." But it was holiday based, so. I remember once when my grandfather was probably towards the end of his life, uh, I asked him to show me how he made, because he was a, a chef and owned a restaurant for a while, how he made just like a marinata. And he did it with me, and I remember he had like this trick where he took the spices, I think it was whatever, he, I don't even remember what he put in, but I remember black pepper, and he portioned out the top of the pot, and he poured these dried spices over in like a pie graph. And he's like, okay, half, I remember being half black pepper because he liked black pepper. I don't remember how he made it, and I didn't write it down. I was 15, um, and it kills me. And I revert, and I so I go to my great uncles and aunts, or I go to my cousins. So like if I can't remember my grandmother, I don't know how my grandmother made Nucatel. So I go to her sister's daughter, who I know makes. I, mean, I'm, I try to recreate those, but it's really interesting you say that because there's a business. I believe it's in Pittsburgh, and you may know about this one. They are, I guess, a more wholesale bakery, but they're Italian American, and what they've done, which I think is really interesting. I actually. 
I don't know logistically how this fits into your business, but I think it's something that a lot of um, traditional community bakeries could probably take on. Um, they have invited their clientele to bring in recipes from their family and sort of hold them in like a vault on file. And when the holidays come around, they will make, if you are ordering enough size, to that recipe. And I, I sometimes think like a place like this is almost a Noah's Ark for our our culinary history, you know, because a lot of people may have a recipe but wouldn't even know how to begin right. making it, you know. And I almost think there's some sort of service to that, to, to, to walking people through and preserving those family tastes, because it's so important. Mm-hmm. So important. Absolutely. You, you lose so much when you lose those things. Right. It's your connection. You know, they say anthropologically the last thing that a culture loses is food. Makes the they most sense. They lose language. They yeah. lose all kinds of stuff. But the one thing people tend to hold on to is, is food. When you and I got really close, I mean, we've been friends like 10, 12 years now. Um, when you and I got really close, your mom made, I, we call them the Cattell, you call them up, ribbon cookies? What yeah, you, you call them knock. That's what, do you, what do you call the, the ribbon, you know, like the... Gakira. Gakira. Yeah, Gakira. There you go. Gakira, that's it. But that's the modern name. We, we called them the Cattell I think, my whole life. I think they might have been, that might have been the name in Naples that kind of took over Salerno. Yeah. I think in Salerno, I think in the Valdi Diano, Sorrento de Moe, knock. I, gotta, I don't I, think I, I've asked my food gastronomic fundamentalist in Sorrento. <laughs> no, really, I have. You have one on call. Isn't no, it? because I we know, have a whole. You know, we have that secret group, and yeah. you have to really be vetted to join. Yeah, but we are a group of experts, and we discuss. Um, no, we we dis- we anthropologically study the food of the area because my grandmother's, my anchor food is Piante Sorrento food because that's where my grandmother's mother came from. But, but so I, my gastronomic. I go there and I, I hit it off because I'm like, okay, I know exactly what this is and how it's made. And I've been told on numerous occasions in conversations within the group that they'll ask me questions now because I have untainted recipes. From the 18 whatever. Sure. Yeah. My, my recipes are a photo, a clicked 1901. Yep. And they're like, wow. Like, for instance, my grandmother's mother never, ever put any meat in a lasagna. And Sorrento's famous for cow milk. Right, where the cow milk area, mm-hmm. you know, they call uh, sheep rigotto, rigotto romana because the, the real cow, the real rigotto of Sorrento was cow milk. So our lasagna is grated cheese, rigotto, and mozzarella, cubed mozzarella. And we're having this discussion in the food gastronomic group, and, and someone's like, that's how my grandmother made it. So there's people in Italy saying, oh, yeah, before the 60s, that's how we all, so the conversation went, yeah. over, that's how we all made it. And then, in the 70s and 80s, the bechamel, chopped meat, mm-hmm. all the northern stuff became popular. So we changed it. Well, I always say we're like the mosquito in amber. And I, I mean, like that, that happened to me when we became close. You brought me your mother's Nicotel cookies. They're good, aren't they? They're fantastic, but they've tasted like my grandmother's tasted. And you can buy them at a store. A lot of Polish bakeries sell them and stuff. A lot of Italian bakeries don't make they them They call anymore. them wand. In a lot of parts of America, they're called wand, which comes from the Neapolitan for glove. Oh. Wand is Neapolitan for glove, and it's like the, the fingers on the glove. I had no idea. Yeah. But that was a big thing for me. They when when you brought them over from your mom, I was like, wow, I am getting the taste of my childhood. Some people call them wandies. That's, wandies. that's the Americanized. I'm sure there's people out there who are in parts of America where they're wandies. I never heard of that. But the pastiera to me is a big one for our family. And, and I've done a lot of work to get that recipe. And I, you know, I've tweaked my grandmother's. My, I learned pastiera from my uncle. And he tweaked it like crazy. He decided to replace the cedro with... Tried apricots. Now, oh, and wow. I was like, time out. I, I had to go back. So I went to the fundamentals to study pastiera. Well, that's the thing. Within each just, family, just, there's a microculture, too, sure. yes. right? And so everybody has their perception of how and, and something for, should be, right? And 
there's a lot to live up to. A lot. The reason I interrupt is a lot of our listeners don't know what Bastida is. Bastida oh, is the Neapolitan grain pie yes. that you have at Easter traditionally. Easter, yes. But now what's happened in Italy is people in Italy have it. You could have it all year yes, long. Yes, we do it all year. There's we people who that. have it at Christmas. And in parts of Campania, there was a tradition to have Bastida on January 6th, the Epiphany. The epiphany. In the Neapolitan tradition, there's the idea of three epiphanies. The epiphany that happens on January 6th, which is considered the epiphany when Christ was revealed to the Gentiles. The epiphany of the resurrection, which is Easter Sunday, which is Christ revealing an epiphany moment right. that he's God, that he's resurrected. And the epiphany of Pentecost, which ep- uh, they call the epiphany of the roses, because the Holy Ghost came down like rose petals. It's the time of Pentecost when the roses are in full bloom in the south of Italy. And there's a tradition of making Bastida on the, on the epiphanies. Wow. It's the first Bastida of the year. Wow. It's the Bastida. So th- it goes back to the Christmas tradition. So you have Neapolitans who will have a Bastida now for Christmas and have one for uh, the epiphany. I, see, I grew up where it was like you could never you, no, you had Easter to save was the it sa- for correct, Easter. Correct, correct, sa- correct. And like even the Easter pie. That's why in many ways we, when I started doing it, I would make a lot of them. Now I give them out. I'm, I'm, last year I, I have dyslexia and dyscalculia. So numbers throw me off, which is why baking is very hard because it's scientific. Um, I accidentally miscalculated, and I ended up with like four vats of pastiera filling. Oh, but they were good. They were great, but I made about thirty-seven pastiera last. I had to go. I just went out and bought pie crust. I was like, I can't your, do this. Your pastiera, your pastiera has a has a strong Sicilian influence. Everything I make has right. a strong. Like, oh, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Pat says he can taste this, cinnamon. I can taste. I, it's like Palermo. It's like I'm here. I'm Sicilian. I'm a I'm a Sicilian hiding in a Neapolitan outfit. I am. Yes. Yeah, I and am. a Sicilian hiding. It's like, oh, you think it's a pastiera, but you bite me. You're like, whoa, this tastes like Sicily. Let me ask you another question. Yes. Was the fundamentalist. Food fundamentals have had this conversation. What's your take on Rosewater and Bastida? Yay or nay? I'm, I'm abstaining. I'm neutral. I mean, um, the reason I ask is the pasta, the pasta croce that we're talking about, is the pasta chot with the cross right. on top, has a very strong rosewater taste. No, we do lemon in ours. Do you really? Yes. Lemon water? Lemon. Lemon, like essence. Essence. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. My mother says, and people in Sorrento have flipped out. So I've done the research and I have the books that my, my Jersey City born mother wh- who's um, she shouldn't listen so I could tell she's going to be 72. Yes, your mother she wouldn't know what a podcast was. <laughs> I don't know. He's doing something with John's like a radio show but it's not a radio. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. I don't know where he came from. But we have the DNA test so I am her son. <laughs> um, uh, we look most two opposite but my mother and I bound over baking. Yeah. Because I had a big, my mother has to make stuff for me because we can't go out in the bakery and get it. Like my wow. mother, yeah, because if she don't, it's can't Your be like. a fantastic baker. Thank, that she prides herself yeah, on that. She's that's, fantastic. That's her favorite thing in the world too because we can't just go out to the bakery and get it because of my food allergies. Um, but they, my mother, who's a woman of extremely few words, said she'd bitten to uh, an Italian regatta cake with um, rose water. I know we've had this conversation. She's like, oh, this is what the Bastille tastes like when I was a kid. This is what the Jersey City made Bastille tastes like. And I went back to fundamental, the fundamental gastronomics in Sorrento. I'm like, do you think the Americans added rose water because we couldn't get orange flower water? Do you think that was a popular hmm. idea? My theory is, and good thing almost none of them speak English because they would crucify me. <laughs> I think because Sorrento had a very distinct pastry tradition different than Naples, the really old Sorrento recipes don't talk, call for any flavoring. Hmm. It's, a regatta, it's a regatta sugar grain pastry cream mixture. I think that as Sorrento became closer to Naples because of 
being able to drive and yeah. the road that came in 1860. Sorrento Neapolitanized much more than it was originally. That makes sense. But I don't think the Orange Flower was universal from day one. But again, I'm on a tangent. I'm talking about an Easter no, pie at a but Christmas that, but bakery that's, that's conversation. The beauty of the show, right? It's like the, these are the vessels for who we are. And you're keeping them up here. And, and she makes know. the best rainbow cookie. If you're looking for rainbow cookies, come here. I'm proud of my rainbow cookies, but they're hard to keep on the shelf. So you can come in sometimes they're here, sometimes they're not. Yes. And th- but that, that shows that everything's fresh. That's true. You know, I, I that c- is important. You know, another little also, a- if they don't see them, you, you should ask because I could have them hiding somewhere. So if you come in, you see it from the podcast, ask, and you might get a rainbow <laughs> Wink, cookie. wink, nudge, nudge. I listen you also to the might podcast. get a pinoli cookie. You might get nothing. She might throw you out. I want to see these pinoli chestnut cookies. I'm, that's, now I'm thinking I invented something. Maybe a little chocolate a in candy there. candied chestnut on top of it. Uh, the oil the, the cookie. Be a, 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 cookie. That'd be a, no, one, I would love to see that with the, with the chestnut on top. It sounds one, good. One point, Mary Grace's father, when he assumed ownership of this bakery in the early 70s, my godparents, my godmother and my godfather, were closing a family bakery in 1974, a Sicilian-themed Sicilian bakery. And uh, Mary Grace's father bought some of the equipment, and a friendship developed out of that. Mm-hmm. And I'm here, and I'm just like, wow, like, there's a lot of connection. Yeah. You know, because I was thinking, like, I was saying when we came in, um, my Irish off-the-boat father would work, um, and my, my mother's father would, would work, help out at, the bakery, the Lamagra's Bakery in Jersey City, um, around the holidays because things were so busy. And um, the bakery closed in 74, and you bought some of it. So there's a, lot of, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of connection. There's a lot of us in here. Yeah. You know? And I think that in a world of disposability, the yeah. fact that you're in a, a building that's been a bakery from time immemorial, no one remembers when it wasn't a bakery, all these things, they just kind of come together, and the mosaic of who we are. Like we have people that when we discuss in the Facebook group, they are the I call them they are the camp, they are the light keepers, they are the flame keepers of their family because people are like why do you care about that or who you know like I don't eat that stuff anymore that crowd comes in and there's somebody in every family that keeps that torch alive that pilot yeah. light of history yeah and I think that places like this are where those pilot lights shine brightest yep because as modern as modern of a world we're in and as modern as the clientele is. We're sitting around here drinking uh, uh, espresso. You know, we're having a real Italian moment here. The best part of the espresso is Mary Grace came out with two cups that were clipped from an airline because you listen to yep. the show and you mm-hmm. know we value stolen airline goods more than, more than <laughs> That's most. That's how I got a bit. <laughs> the feds are going to come and get me. <laughs> we're That's all how I go, got I my dribble bit. John, John took it. I didn't take it. <laughs> take so, John. I, I know. I'll Leave me John. alone. I'm sorry, Mr. <laughs> Fed. They were I gifts. They take. were given to me. <laughs> they were gifts. The stewardess said, here, John, take this home to your friend that dribbles all over his clothes. <laughs> but, yeah, no, this is, uh, this is really what it's all about for us. And I think you're right, Pat. We're, those of us who keep the flame alive, those of us who are the vessels, we find each other. And we're not we're all in a pretty much the same generation. She makes mm-hmm. really good St. Joseph's apples. She puts <laughs> his apples you. on the side. Come no, on for the apples. All right, let's <laughs> you and I, time. Let's they, you and I eat. They keep they keep censoring me. Come for the apples. <laughs> Call ahead of time. Say Pat sent me. You get one free pinoli cookie. Only one. You gotta buy the rest. Get one free pinoli cookie that I can't eat. Let me know what it tastes like. I've never I've never I, I had one once as a kid and I almost died. So bite into it. Don't make a funny. I hate these Instagram like like sh- I call them shem faces. People try to be funny, they make funny faces. <laughs> Have enough of self respect not to make a stupid face. Have a nice dignified picture of you biting into a cookie. 
put it on Instagram. I'll never see it because I don't go on that stuff. But John and Rosella <laughs> will have fun with it because they're always clicking and talking about clicking and who clicked and click and post. And John wants to pasta chot because John needs pasta. That's like his. Uh, that's like your hidden. F- that's like your. Yeah. That's like I. I could go for pasta chot right now. That sounds like uh, the ideal way to close out what's been a really nice morning together. Lovely. It has been lovely, lovely. I have Thank to say. You. When you find somebody in your tribe and you get to spend this time together, it's invaluable. So we really do applaud the fact that you're here keeping so much of our culture keeping alive. Keeping a tang yeah. Christmas alive. Yeah. This is my, my action action item. Go out. You know, bring the Italian stuff to your kids, your, your nieces, your nephews. Yeah. Young people in your life have to be exposed to this. And either make it, find out what grandma made, or call up somebody like Mary Grace who does make it and have them ship it out to you. Though she doesn't. There's plenty of people online who do. And listen, and if have you, if a you're very merry mar- Italian Christmas. You have to have something after the fish. Yeah, if you're married to an Italian, great time to introduce. A, a, there's nothing. Nobody don't like what sweets. What do they make? Uh, what are they, uh, uh, you're introducing something wonderful. They're going to have gingerbread cookie. What are they, I'm sorry. <laughs> what are these Norwegian people who are now after me? Because they found. Did you know people out there, the Norwegians, found out that I make fun of them on the show? And there's like a Norwegian hit mob. One guy did write us. They, he, he said, said I, I, I am Norwegian. I'm a, I'm a listener. I love the show. And, and I do think Pat is great. I love him. And yes, we are very different. So pleasant. Invite, if that we, was an, exactly we go out to illustrating the illustrating the difference. I want to go have looked fish. I want to have a looked fish exploration. Oh, you don't want to eat that. We'll, let's go out to this, but I don't know what they make. They make crinkly cookies and stuff like that. It ain't like ours. So from all of us at the Italian American Podcast, make sure you bring these baked delights uh, from here or from what whatever's local to you into your Christmas and Christmas Eve because they are the vessel for who we are. So, Mary Grace, thanks for having us. Thank you. You've been a Thank great you, hostess. Mary Grace. It's always, you're always the hostess with the mostest. Thank you. Yeah. I try. Because you have a bakery full of cookies and cake. And <laughs> we're going to go, we're gonna go what sample What a better it. way to be hosted than surrounded. <laughs> it's like Willy Wonka. I only love no, you this for is your like, cookies. This is like, <laughs> I only love you for your cookies. <laughs> this is like Willy Wonka for a tame search. <laughs> Didn't when you read that book as a kid, is that what you were thinking? No, I didn't. It used to freak me you out. You were in a bakery. <laughs> Why don't we do the Italian the version of Willy Wonka in an Italian bakery? That'll be our reality show here. That'd be great. <laughs> Italian American TV. Italian, we'll be the golden ticket. Yes. <laughs> That's too many gone for Come work with Mary Grace for a month. <laughs> uh, and you do have, oh, we, we should tell them about the people who come from Arizona every year to be your helpers. I have um, a friend. He didn't start off that way, but he lives in Arizona. So his grandmother lives in Clifton. His mother wanted to, she was very enthusiastic about having him experience cannoli making in particular because he liked to make cannolis. Wow. He so liked to eat them? He liked to make them. He made them on his own and before, eat them. He, before he got to you? Yes. But he wanted to perfect it. So she would come in all the time. Can he come? Can he come? And I was always, no, 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 no. And... Um, the year after my mom died, I said yes on a whim. And so he came out, and the first year was very, <laughs> it was interesting. <laughs> so was he flew into Arizona to make cannoli. He flew right? from Arizona to... We say to cannoli in, in North Jersey, but we're making the cannoli. So the the <laughs> Translate. That's a cannoli. That's our, that's our local language word. But. So he flew out to make... He flew in to experience Christmas. I'm like, you want to come? You're coming at Christmas. It's the biggest, well, the busiest time of year. Yeah. And... Yeah, no, and, uh, you know, he's he's come every Christmas since. He's like your Santa Claus here. He comes in, he brings people, and... He is the like head elf, that is like, for he's sure. One, he's <laughs> like, <laughs> he comes in, and it's like, 
That's I'll, wonderful. I'll, when I see, I was like, did they arrive yet? It's kind of like, that's when you know Christmas <laughs> is really here. Because the delegation from Arizona It kind of feels that way now. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like they're coming, and now you know it's like, dun, 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 mm-hmm. dun, dun. That should be great evidence to the fact that beyond preserving recipes and being in a neighborhood, and the fact that somebody can come to you because they want to reconnect is you, you are like a source. You're like a life source of who we are. That is beautiful. That really is. I mean, I'm sure it was goofy the first year having some random person come in and try to it was cook a little with strange. you. Yeah, but that, now you're like BFFs. I yes. mean, like in the real time yes, way, you took yes, them under your wing, and yes. now like you know. Well, I feel that way about all my helpers. You know, they're like part of the extended family. Italian, 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 not Italian. That's it's the exactly. That's exactly. We're very good at being family. We yes. make family everywhere. So if you work for me, I yell, I scream, I yes. you butt. You drive me up a wall, but you're still part of the family. Well, you are now part of the Italian American Podcast family. And She's a loyalist. And I my thank friend. you for listening, uh, even knowing him, and you still come back for more thank of us. You. That's amazing. <laughs> you hanging out with my mother? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I don't know why you would listen. Why is it? <laughs> you always say, why do they listen? Uh, but really, thank you from the bottom of my heart for bringing me in, because I, I do feel like I have a little family here in Hoboken now. And, uh, this is, uh, That's right. Remember, the revolution lives. Yeah, this is some coup. The <laughs> done with New York. The <laughs> <Fanoob laughs> in New York. From all of us at the American Podcast, from Georgios and Hoboken, it's been a pleasure. And we'll talk to you next week. Bon 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 Bon